Amen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. We can give the worship team another round of applause. That was, that was great, guys. Um, good morning, New Vintage Church. Uh, my name is Scotty Cowan. I'm the youth pastor here, um, and it is uh, my time of year to speak. <laughs> and I just wanted to say one happy New Year's, uh, and I really hope that you guys are doing okay. And, and to be honest, I do want to do like a check. Like, <laughs> how are we doing? <laughs> Because I really feel like most of the time when we're, when we're going into the new year, it's like, all right, let's go. We leap into the brand new year. Yeah, great new year. Woo! And this year, it just really feels like it's like a, okay, what's coming next? <laughs> and you know, what, what is the, how is the trilogy going to round out of 2020, 2021, 2022? Um, and so I just, I really want to take a second to just remind us of something. Um, I'm going to kind of preach a mini sermon before my actual sermon. I know two different sermons. Good morning, Dan. It's good to see you. Um, two different sermons. Um, the first one's going to be short. I, I, like I said, I, the last time I spoke was a year ago, so I'm just making up for lost time. Um, but first off, I just wanted to remind us that we serve a God of triumph. Um, and we just spent the Christmas Advent season focusing on this, um, that we serve a God of triumph, um, and that when you look throughout the entire Bible, every person that you see that walks faithfully with God, that walks faithfully with Christ, runs into snags, obstacles, and bad situations. Um, you, Joseph, right? We, we covered him over the summer. Um, he was sold by his family into slavery. Now, I understand that some of you might be annoyed with some of your family members after the holidays and you're ready for them to go home, um, but to sell the brother into slavery um, after he was given a dream that he would end up being in some sort of grand position. You've got the Israelites with Moses at the Red Sea, strongest army in the world, um, chasing them down, and they're stuck at the waters. You've got the Israelites with Joshua at the walls of Jericho, um, and an army behind those walls. Somehow they're going to have to defeat that army. You've got Daniel, whose roommates became lions, hungry lions, uh, and his friends were tossed into an oven. Um, you've got Jesus, his disciples, as they're standing in front of 5,000 people with no food for them. I'm pretty sure that is my grandma's worst nightmare, um, to have people over to her house and no food to feed them with. Um, You've got Lazarus, who was dead <laughs> when Jesus arrived. You've got even like people like Jonah. Jonah was so bad at his job, he got stuck in a fish, you know? So like what, the, all these different kinds of things through the Bible that they run into obstacles, but we serve a God of triumph. And when you continue reading those stories and you don't just stop in the middle, you start to understand something. It seems like God always does his best work right in the middle when the situation seems like it's over, right when the situation seems like this can't get any worse. Because <laughs> um, you look at Joseph, he became the second in command and the strongest nation in the world. The Israelites, the water parts, the Red Sea parts, and they escape. The walls of Jericho fall. The lions end up not being hungry, and the furnace ends up being room temperature. Jonah was still pretty bad at his job, but God worked with him anyway, and Nineveh repented. The 5,000 were fed through a miracle of food. Lazarus, turns out he was just kidding. Jesus brings him back to life. And over and over and over again, you watch 
as God does his best work when times just seem like they're not going correct. So church, I just want to encourage you, as I've been listening over this past month, over even this past week, (laughs) of just stuff that has been going on in and around the lives of our church, that we serve a God of triumph, and he is undefeated in history, and so right now won't be the one time that he loses. He's undefeated, he will not, that's not gonna go away now. So I'm gonna pray, and then we'll get into the main part of the sermon. Lord, thank you for who you are. Um, And just thank you that when you go and you win these victories for us, and you win these battles for us, that you then turn around and call it our victory as well. And Lord, thank you that we can lean on you and your power and your love and your grace and your mercy in times where where things seem like they just aren't gonna go well. And then watch what you're gonna do. Thank you for your power, your love. We love you, we praise your name. Amen. So he wakes up. It's an interesting day of work that he's going to. He wakes up knowing this is the day that my boss is going to leave for a long time. And he's gonna give me a share of the company to run with and ex- whoa, run with and execute my ideas. I get to execute my own ideas with the share of the company that he gives me to grow this how I want to grow it. So he springs up out of bed, runs into the bathroom, makes sure his hair is done right, brushes his teeth, puts on some of his better clothes, and he starts walking to work. And as he passes by the school, he thinks, hmm, maybe there's some things I can do with the local schools to really grow and build our company. And he walks past the market and he goes, maybe I can help out uh, the local businesses. And he gets to work and walks in, and there he is with two of his coworkers and the boss sitting in front of him. And the boss says, all right, I'm heading out. It's up to you guys to take care of this while I'm gone. Uh, So here's what each of you are going to take responsibility of. And he goes to his coworker and he says, here's $1.5 million of the company. His sister goes, that's a lot of money. (laughs) I need to start dreaming bigger. Okay, let's let's see what happens. And he turns to him and he says, here's $600,000 of the company. And he goes, okay, it's not exactly 1.5 million, but that has a lot of responsibility to it, so I'm okay with that. There's a lot I can do with this. And he watched the boss go to the third coworker, and he says, all right, you get $300,000 worth of company. And he goes, wow, we are holding so much of the company's worth and value right now. And the boss says, all right, you guys take that, do what you want with it. We'll talk about it when I get back. And he walks out, and they gather all their things, and as he stands up to leave, he turns and he sees the third coworker just sitting there. And he just looks like he is in complete and utter fear. He goes, all right, well, I've got my 600,000. I'm going to go do what I can. This morning we are covering my absolute favorite parable in the Bible, which is the parable of the 10 talents, or depending on your translation of the Bible, it's also 10 bags of gold. A bag of gold, the, the name for that amount of money was a talent. So it's the parable of the talents. And in this parable, we're going to observe a couple of things. Uh, number one, we're going to observe the first two servants. Amen. Um, 
and how they react to what they're given. Then we're going to look at the third servant and how he reacts to what he's given. And then we're going to also look at the master's expectations. Um, Some applications for this morning uh, that we can walk away with. Um, One, how to correctly use our talents. Number two is going to be abide, don't fear. And number three is how to embrace your talents. I think it's a very, very interesting thing that that word talents translates to English the way it does. Um, So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 25. That's where this parable takes place. Um, You can follow along on the screen or if you have your Bibles in front of you. Um, We're going to start in uh, verse 14. It says, this is Jesus talking to a group of people that are including his disciples. Um, And he says, again, it, it meaning the kingdom of God, he's giving a message about the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. By the way, it, that translates to, it's actually over $1.5 million in today's money. Um, so it's, it's a lot. Um, he gave five bags of gold to another two bags and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gave five more bags, $3 million dollars. <laughs> So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. He's sitting at about $1.2 million. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and see, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man with two bags of gold came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. And see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So we look at the first two servants. What did they do well? What can we take away from these first two servants? Well, first, they perceived the situation correctly. The situation is this. Master, boss, heading out. Bye. I'm leaving you with some of the estate. It's up to you to work and cultivate what I'm giving you to produce results. I'm not going to be doing the work. I'm going on vacation. (laughs) You are doing the work. And the way that they respond to that is exactly what Jesus is looking for in his disciples. Remember, he's speaking to his disciples here along with a little crowd of people. He's looking for fruitful obedience to take it and say, yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm going to go out with this and do what you command me to do. And because of that, we get to see the master's desire in this all along. Because get this, at the end of this parable, you realize that the master didn't come back and go, great, you have $3 million now for the company. Thank you. 
that's a great job, man. Thanks for that. And go store it away. The master gives the servants not only all the money they started with, but what they came back with. The master's whole desire in this was to be benevolent towards his servants. Just like God's desire is to be benevolent with us. As we continue to fruitfully obey him time after time after time, he wants to continually bless us as we walk with him. Also, we're sitting on the richest inheritance we could possibly think of in eternal life with him once we step into a relationship with him. So he wants to bless us with these, this grand gift of eternal life. And not only that, but continually bless us as we continue to follow and obey him. That was the master's plan all along. He wanted to be benevolent towards his servants. And then they correctly invested their talents. What does this mean? Okay, so what does this even look like? If I'm supposed to correctly invest my talents, what does this mean? What does it look like? Well, to understand this, we have to look at where this parable is coming into play. Like I said, Jesus is speaking to a group of people, including all of his disciples. And this parable, the parable of the talents, is in the middle of a five-part message where he's using different analogies and different parables along the way to explain a grand theme. Parts one, two, and three are essentially in the same boat where he's talking about, be ready, I will be returning at an hour that you will not know. Uh, The first part, uh, it's talking about a thief in the night and if a house owner knows um, when the thief in the night is coming, he prepares in that moment and then he's good, but it, That is not what it will be like. It will be more like the fact that he has to keep watch, like a watchman, and keep guard because he does not know the hour that he is returning. Um, Part two uh, is about a a, a servant and whether he makes the choice to be wise or wicked with what has been entrusted to him. Uh, That he will either cultivate the livestock that he's taking care of Um, and take care of everything around him, or whether he's going to use it for his own selfish personal gain. Um, He says, and then when the master returns, if he's been taking care of it, we're all good. But if not, and he sees that it's all wrecked and it's all been used for personal gain, the punishment that it explains, I wouldn't want to be a part of at all. And this part is specifically talking more towards religious leaders and how they've been entrusted to shepherd. Um, But the message is still very similar. In part three, as the parable of the ten virgins, where you, have fu- where you have a bridegroom coming. We don't know when. He's going to show up. So be ready and have your lanterns because it's going to be at night. And there's five that have their lanterns and extra oil just in case. There's five others that just have their lanterns. Turns out he's late. And the one who just had their lanterns, their oil's gone. They're like, can we have some extra? And they're like, oh, we got to go. So they use their extra oil and they go with the bridegroom in. And the other ones are left to scramble and find oil. And once they do, they get there and the walls are shut. So again, we do not know the hour. We do not know the hour. We do not know the hour. Be prepared. And if you listened in last week, Pastor Tim gave an amazing message about being ready and awake for Jesus' arrival. 
and not to just be sleepwalking through life, but to be active in preparation and be living in a way that we are actively preparing for Jesus' return. So that's the first three parts. Then we have the parable of the talents that we're talking about, and then part five. And part five talks about how the kingdom of God, there will be a day that the shepherd separates the sheep and the goats, and the sheep will be on his right. And then it says, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you visited me. And the ones on the right, the righteous, they say, when did we ever see you hungry or clothed or in prison or sick? And he said, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. So saying, we never saw you hungry. What are you talking about? He said, no, when you saw others who were hungry and you fed them, you also did that for me. And then he talks to the group on the left and says, when you saw those who were hungry, you did not feed them. And they're like, when did we ever see you hungry? He's like, when you saw them and you didn't do anything about it, you also did not do anything about it towards me. So that's part five. So the parable of the talents is this bridge in between these two themes that combines them. Be ready. The master is gone. Take what he has given you prepare. But what does that look like? The parable that we are covering today, the parable of the talents, is not about developing your skills to become a better you. Like, oh, I'm going to be the best version of me I can be. It's not a selfish thing. This parable is not about that, but it's about seizing the opportunities to do good with the gifts and talents that God has given you. That's the message of this parable in the, med- in the middle of this five-part blast. Take what's been given to you and go out and do good amongst the community. That's what we can learn from the first two servants. Now we've got our friend, the third guy, who went and buried it in the ground. So let's see what happened with him. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 24. Then the man who received one bag of gold came and said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they will have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oops. Oops. Here's what's interesting about the third servant. He perceived the situation correctly, just like the first two. 
He looked at it and said, the master, the boss is going on vacation. He is leaving behind this for us. It is up to us to work and cultivate this. But he had a misview of who the master was. He didn't fully understand who the master was. Because as we saw, the master wants to be benevolent towards his servants. This servant thought he's going to judge. He's going to be harsh. All he wants to do is punish. He doesn't care about us. And because of that, it drove him towards a paralyzing fear where he did nothing. In my life, it has been true, if not every time, almost every time, that whenever I start to have a a problem when it comes to my faith, my relationship with God, whatever, it is because I have lost sight of an aspect of God's character or I have mangled an aspect of God's character in my own head. This is why it is so important for us to actively read the Bible, to read the word. Because if we sit and try and build an image of God on our own, not only can we get into this situation where we rebuild the wrong image of God, but then when something comes in that shakes one of those things, well, it's not real. And so it breaks down the entire foundation of our faith and of who we are. So it is vital that we actively learn more and more and more about who God is. So when we're in situations, we do not have a misview of who God is and then are paralyzed by fear because fear will paralyze you and it will destroy your faith, and it will destroy your ministry. And let me just say this. If you are actively walking with Christ, you have a ministry. You are still an example of who God is and Jesus' love for the world. And so it is vital that we stay and remain with him and understand who he is so that we're not stricken by fear. Because fear will usually come from a conscious or unconscious partnership with the enemy's lies. So the enemy will tell lies either about us or about who God is. And we might consciously or unconsciously decide to believe that. And then we see maybe a painful, a possible painful result. And we go, no, that's going to be uncomfortable. And I'm starting to believe this. So I'm just going to not move. I'm going to bury this and just we're not going to move. Because that's scary, and I'm believing that. When in reality, if you've walked with Christ for any length of time, you will experience pain in this world. Luckily, it's not empty, and it's not for nothing. We learn throughout the entire Bible that pain will constantly be for our benefit. Like in James, where it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Well, because when you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, then you can let perseverance finish its work, finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. So when we choose to say, no, I'm going to remain and abide with Christ. And abide, the definition of that is to just live and dwell with. 
just how we were always supposed to, right? The original design for us to live and dwell with God. Adam and Eve messed that up. Thanks, guys. Shout out. Um, but we were always supposed to live and dwell with him. And here's what's so great about God is when we choose to do that, he describes in John chapter 15 with the vine and the branches what it'll be like. Starting in verse five. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. <sighs> stay, stay on the slide for a second. I'm going to go off a little bit. Youth ministry, you know what's up. Um, there's a church that is written to in Revelation chapter 3. It's called Laodicea. Laodicea is a pretty great city. Um, they are very, very smart. They have one of the best education systems in the known world at that time. Not only that, but they have the best um, medical hospitals and also the best um, medical school that's in the known area. They also have uh, these native sheep um, only to their area that produces very, very high quality black clothing. And so they make a ton of money off of selling these clothes. And because of that, their banking system was way above anybody else in the area at that time. They kind of had one flaw though. They didn't have any natural water source and they were really the only place that didn't have their own natural water source. So when it came to their water, they had to essentially pipe it in from a hot spring that was really, really far away that way and a really nice lake that was really, really, really far that way. And by the time it got to their city, I can imagine that it would, it would be kind of like when you drink out of a water bottle after it's been sitting in your car for two hours on like a summer day where you're just like, ah, like that's not good at all. And Jesus says to the city, just like the water, you are not hot or cold. Kind of explaining, you're not really useful for anything right now. You are actually just lukewarm, like this water that you have to deal with. And then he says, because of that, you are wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. First of all, I don't want to ever be called those things by God in the first place. Let's just put that out there. Second of all, if you're allowed to see a, those words hurt, why? Oh, we have the best medical facilities, the best medical school. Yeah, but you're blind. So it really doesn't matter. Our black clothing is the finest you can find anywhere. We're making a ton of money off of it. No, you might as well be naked and poor. Our city is super clean. No, you're wretched. We are a really smart city. You're pitiful. I have given you these gifts and talents, and because you are not moving, you are now becoming the exact opposite of the way that I made you to be. 
And so when we let let fear paralyze and cripple us, we start to become the opposite of what we were made to be, just like this branch he's talking about. You did not remain in me, and now you have withered, and you've been thrown away and burned, and now you're just ash. You have become the opposite of what I made you to be. Luckily, though, in that same letter to Laodicea, right after he says all that, he gives them a solution. It's the famous, behold, I stand at the door and knock verse. And he says, whoever comes and answers the door, I will come in and eat with them and they will eat with me. And this isn't one of those like, you get home after a long day, the whole family like grabs their dinner, microwaves it, eats it, and they're like, cool, see you later. It is talking more like a, like a house party when you invite family friends over and you guys eat dinner and you're with each other and you play games and you just hang out for those long nights that are so, that's the language that Jesus is using there. That I will come in and I will abide with you. And they will abide with me. And just like it continues in verse 7 here. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And this is so vital, why we must not act out of fear, but instead abide in God, let those fears disappear and move forward. Because when you abide and when you remain in God, not only do you get to learn his voice better, like you get to tune in like on an old radio, like trying to find the right signal and you, you can understand God's voice a little bit better, but you also start to understand that he will cultivate you and your joy and your freedom and your abilities and he will help you grow over and over and over and over again. And so it's beautiful when we choose to remain and abide in God instead of fearing and not moving where it can be completely disastrous. Let me say one more thing about this real quick. Um, Remember, he's talking to a group of people also in the vine and the branches part. He says, I'm the vine, you all are the branches, plural, that we are supposed to grow together as a community as well, that you're supposed to have a healthy Christian community in and around you to grow with, um, and that is very important. Um, So, we would love to have you in ours if you're not plugged into one. (laughs) Um, So you need to uh, go invest your talents correctly, uh, abide in God and move with him, don't fear, but also you need to embrace the talents that you have. Um, And some things that might get in the way of this sometimes is one is like this idea of like one day I'll be ready to move, one day I'll be ready to do what God has for me, and that's just not true. God has given you the perfect set of gifts and abilities to be who he wants you to be, like right now. Um, Right now. It may not be the complete version of who you're going to grow to be, um, because just like with the first two servants, he says, you have been faithful with what I've given you. I will entrust you with even more. So there is an aspect of continually growing in God, but you are still also supposed to move now. So this is for everybody. 
One of the biggest things that I struggled with and that I continue to watch high schoolers struggle with, and I struggled with the same thing when I was in high school, is like, oh, I'll be ready to like move the way God wants me to like once like I graduate, once I become an adult. And that's just not the case. He, he gifted you and he's given you abilities to move now, to go out and do good now with what you have. And another one is, is we can look at other people and be like, well, they were given two bags and I was only given, they were given seven bags of gold and I was only given four. They were given, it seems like they're more talented than me. Uh, or it seems like they have like different talents and they're so much cooler. And so I'm just not gonna, I'm not gonna move. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go anywhere. Um, or just they have more. So I'm gonna let them act because I'm scared that like I'm not gonna be able to do as good as them. Here's a beautiful thing that I recognized this time as I was reading through and studying this parable. God did not expect, the master did not expect 10 bags of gold from the one who he gave two bags in the beginning. When the one who was given five came back with 10, he was given the same exact response as the one who was given two that came back with four. Same response. Well done. You took care of what I wanted you to take care of. And the reason I feel like this is so important, I was talking to a buddy of mine and a mentor of mine, and we were talking about how so often we as Christians can freeze because we think that like the greatest calling we could ever have is be a pastor. And if it's not that, then like we're not going to move. Like for some reason, we've decided the perfect, the perfect testimony that could possibly happen is I was in jail and then I became a pastor. And like everything else in between is just kind of like, oh, you know, that happened, I guess. But can I just please, please, please encourage you that it is so vitally important, and I might even argue that it's a lot more important to take the gifts and talents that you have to go out and be a great parent, a great spouse, a great coworker, a great student, a great teammate, a great customer. Back, rewind a Six years ago, I was working at a grocery store. I hated that job. <laughs> I really did. I had to be there at 4.30 every morning. It was horrible, horrible. And I was sitting with a mentor of mine, like, I just feel like I'm doing nothing, doing absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God. I really wasn't involved in a church or a ministry in any way. The mentor was like, well, I feel like that's kind of like a personal choice of yours. I was like, what do you mean? I'm stuck at this grocery store. He's like, yeah, use it. <laughs> I would help make coffee for people. He's like, use that. Try and brighten their day. Essentially, take the bags of gold you've been given and do what you can in those situations. Now, let me just talk about this. And I know like, oh, pastor's going to talk about money. No, no. But this was also really, really important. And he this hasn't changed, this changed the way I thought about like giving towards things forever. He said, when you get your paycheck from this job that you don't like, when you choose to give that towards either churches or different causes, you are choosing to make your job something that glorifies him. Like the paycheck that I get, I will use this job to glorify him, maybe not each and every single day at work, but at least that I'll give towards this ministry or this outreach or something. 
And so we've just got to embrace every gift that we have and every opportunity that we have because he has created each and every single one of us uniquely. And there might be that thing that you have that's like that thing that people make fun of, like whatever's going on there, just, they're just like a fry short of a happy meal. Like there's just something, there's something off there. Like there's, no, that, that is a quirk or a gift or unique talent that lets you impact the world around you unlike anybody else can. And so maybe you're just really, really good at making people laugh. There are an abundance of ways to bless people for the kingdom of God in that, or making people feel welcome or loved or important. Maybe you're good at just being able to like figure situations out. For some reason, you're just really good at that. Maybe you're good at, at making sure that things work electronically or like handy around the house kind of things. Whatever these talents are, it is important that we embrace them, take them and go out and do what God wants us to do with those things. So this morning, what, we, what have we observed? Like I said, we talked about the first two servants. Go out, use your talents for good. We talked about this third servant. Do not be paralyzed by fear. It's dangerous. We talked about the master's expectations. He's not expecting 10 from the one he gave two. He's just expecting you to do what you can do with what you have. And he'll be happy with the result. This week, I ran into a snag. As I was studying this, it kind of hit me. I was like, where is an example of one of these servants? Like, imagine the guy that was given two bags of gold. He goes out and he tries really hard and loses it all and comes back with absolutely nothing. And goes, all right, um, I completely failed. Where is that scenario? Why don't we get to see that example? I need to know because what if I fail and, and what's going to happen with my relationship with God and how is he going to react? And then it hit me. I don't think this scenario is in this parable because I don't think that scenario is possible. Because once again, we serve a God of triumph. And so if we are truly embracing the talents and gifts that he's given us and we go out into this world and actively are looking for ways to do good and bless those around us and live for him, we are actively living with the God who is undefeated at our side. And so it might not go exactly how you wanted it to go. Right, It might change some different things and you're like, okay, like, but it's going to go exactly how he wants it to go. And so we serve a God of triumph. So, and then I realized, oh wait, I was acting in the mindset of the third servant. I was sitting here worrying like, what if I fail? <laughs> what if I mess up and lose everything? Then what? And now, what would have happened if the third servant would have instead taken the attitude of, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with a master who can't fail. And so as we leave this morning, I really just want to encourage you in a couple things. One, embrace the gifts and talents you have. 
and don't look around and compare. Just look at what you have and the gifts and talents that you have. Because it's not like the guy that was given one bag of gold wasn't given a lot. It was still what would equate to over $300,000 today. It's not like he was just given like this little itty bitty amount. We've all been given unique gifts and talents. Embrace those, find those, and then go out and look for ways to use it for good. And lastly, remember whose you are. Right? We, we sang, I am who you say I am, right? That our identity comes from him. And that when we come back with, from our two bags of gold and we bring back four, he's going to say the same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. I've entrusted you with, uh, you've been faithful with little. I will entrust you with much. We serve a God of triumph. So much so that he sent his son to die on a cross for us, take the punishment of all our sin, and then rise from the dead three days later and defeat all of that, including sin and death, so much so that it can't even be a part of our identity. That when we as Christians die, we can't even truly say that, oh, we're dead. Because now we're just living and we're probably doing a lot better than we were. <laughs> and each and every week we take communion. And so you should have received uh, the communion elements when you walked in. Um, if not, we have a couple people um, that'll be walking around and uh, handing those out if anybody is missing that. But we do this to remember each and every week Jesus' sacrifice for us and, and, and what that means and how we're allowed to live in freedom and not fear and how we're allowed to abide in God's presence because of this. And so as we take communion, it's just a good reminder. Not only thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice for our sins, but also thank you that this means I get to live in freedom and I get to abide in your presence. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you allow us to live in your presence and to live in who you are. Thank you that we can go out and use our gifts and talents and also know that you are on our team so that we can go out with courage and watch what you do. And Lord, as you win those victories, thank you that we get to share in them as well. Lord, we're excited to see what you're gonna do this year. We're excited to see what you're gonna do in all of our lives and in this church community. And thank you again for your love, your mercy, your grace, your faithfulness. Lord, we love you and praise your name.